SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Excited to dive into the first of our usual off-season beat writer series that we do here. Uh, we got Evan Dudley from AL.com joining us in a minute to talk UAB football. But uh, before we jump into that, Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you as always. Eric, how are you doing today? Joe, I am doing well, man. Cannot complain. I know that for the majority of the country, you know, we typically lead off and talk about the fact that I've got the great weather here in Florida, but I, I definitely feel especially spoiled this week. Um, it has been 80 all week. I went to the beach yesterday. I, I drug myself off of a beach bar to uh, start recording this podcast. So I, I genuinely feel bad for the rest of the country that I know is uh, still dealing with winter and whatnot. So um, I guess I'll, uh, I'll leave with that, Joe. No, I mean, always good to start the podcast with a humble brag. I appreciate it. But without further ado, uh, we should jump into some UAB talk. I know people probably get uh, tired of hearing us talk about random stuff uh, for the first 20 minutes of every show. So without further ado, let's uh, let's introduce our guest for today, Mr. Evan Dudley, uh, coming to us from Jasper, Alabama. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm actually in Hamilton, Alabama, uh, about 30, mi- 30 minutes uh, west of there, but uh, pretty close. <laughs> all right, all right. The uh, the Jasper area code uh, on my screen. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. That would be that would be it. Yes, my phone was uh is located within the Jasper area code. I suppose I keep forgetting that from time to time. But uh, uh much like Eric, we actually had some nice weather here. Well, I say nice. It was at least in the seventies uh, the past couple of days, but it was uh, pouring down rain and thunderstorming. But that's all going away, and we're back in the thirties today. Springtime Alabama in the south, weather. right? That's right. We've had a few <laughs> false springs already. Yeah, I uh, I can relate being up in the Northwest. Um, but anyway, would love to start off by kind of getting your thoughts on this uh, this big win for uh, UAB over BYU. And obviously, a lot of folks uh, west of the Mississippi didn't see that one coming. But as someone who who took that in and obviously knows a lot about what this UAB program was able to build last year. Um, what did that win specifically mean for Bill Clark's team moving forward here? Uh, it, well, it meant a lot, uh, you know, just from the point of beating a ranked team as highly as BYU, a BYU team that uh, most thought should maybe be in a better bowl game. Uh, perhaps, you know, they were 10-2, and two, I believe, in the regular season. Uh, if you look at it from the transitive property logic, uh, they're champions of the of the Pac-12, beating Utah during the regular season. But, uh, you know, going into that game, I kind of thought they had a little bit of edge, but also knew that UAB, just the kind of team they were and who they were, uh, you know, they could compete with this team. And, uh, you know, in the end, they end up pulling it out. And, it, uh, you know, obviously one of the biggest wins in uh, school history, uh, you know, you got to go back to maybe the win over Southern Miss when they clinched the division or the – their first conference uh, championship win, probably one of the big, probably one of the two biggest wins. But this is definitely in there in that top five, top three uh, range, just in uh, just from the national exposure it brought. Out of curiosity, what other wins for UAB do you put in that that top three, top five range? Uh, well, uh, like I said, those uh, those first two I kind of mentioned uh, the uh, the Independence Bowl. Obviously, uh, you look at maybe the Boca Bowl uh, a few years back. Whenever uh, they came out and beat Northern Illinois, uh, that was their first bowl win. Uh, obviously, that one's in there. You know, people look at the LSU win from almost 20 years ago, but that was a uh, 
a first year of a Nick Saban team, uh, completely kind of turning that program around. And, uh, you know, it didn't really, uh, you know, propel this UAB uh, program into something uh, different at that time. So you you probably look at more of the games, uh, you know, within the past five to six years, uh, you know, since Bill Clark there is the kind of uh, program defining uh, games that they've had. I know we're all eager to see what the next chapter is for Bill Clark's team. Uh, one of the offseason storylines for UAB has been the the quarterback position. Uh, Tyler Johnson III has, has transferred out to pursue other opportunities. Uh, obviously, Dylan Hopkins uh, played admirably as uh, the Blazers wrapped up the season with that, uh, that second place in CUSA West position. But the thing that intrigues everybody is the transfer of Jacob Zeno from Baylor coming into to UAB. Evan, what What's the early thought on a potential position battle between Zeno and Dylan Hopkins for that QB one spot? Well, as uh, Bill Clark likes to do, you know, the best man is going to play, uh, you know, going to play the position, you know, whoever gives him the better, the best chance of being successful. Uh, right now, obviously, it's going to be Dylan Hopkins coming off a season uh, that he had. Uh, you know, he really took control of this team. Uh, he's really kind of grabbed control. Uh, you know, Tyler Johnston, you know, he, he transferred out. Uh, I think he just, you know, too many injuries over too many uh, years. And I think, uh, you know, obviously he saw that his time was done and having uh, an extra year of eligibility, he sought to go elsewhere. But I think Dylan just kind of has that leg up going into the season. But don't be surprised if uh, Zeno really pushes him because you've got a third quarterback, uh, Bryson Lucero, who has starting experience in Conference USA. Uh, but, you know, Zeno's uh, probably a little bit more talented, uh, you know, coming from a Baylor, you know, having uh, – Having been rated a four-star uh, prospect, he's got a little bit more upside to him. But, uh, you know, I think we'll see a little bit of battle. But I think, uh, you know, coming out of the spring, it'll probably still be Dylan. And, uh, you know, we really won't see this thing really come to an end probably until in the season, uh, you know, when we see whether, you know, if, you know, Dylan has a uh, short leash on him or if he's allowed to kind of, you know, lead this team, uh, you know, like he did last year. Cutting back to last year in a minute, any thoughts on the way that, Hopkins deep ball progressed specifically just based on our observations. It seems like he really got comfortable throwing those, those play action bombs to uh, uh, Trey Shopsire and Garrett Prince in particular. Uh, yeah. You know, early on in the season, I think maybe, you know, he's putting a little bit too much on him. We saw a lot more uh, overthrows, uh, which, you know, if, you look at it uh, uh, from a certain perspective, overthrows are much better than an underthrow because uh, most times underthrows are going to result in inter- interception. Uh, he did not have many of those. Uh, early on, he was overthrowing those. But as it got on throughout the season, you could see him connecting more on those. He got kind of uh, more of the timing down with Shropshire and Garrett Prince. Uh, you know, especially with a guy like Garrett Prince, who's, uh, you know, like a gazelle on that field. Uh, you know, he's got a long stride uh, and he's a tight end with speed. So, I mean, he was able to, you know, really kind of connect with him early on as kind of that blanket, uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I, I guess the kind of last resort, you know, uh, you know, in case uh, he, everything else goes down, you can always go to your tight end. Uh, but Shropshire took a little bit more time, but he really connected with him. Like you said, uh, those kind of the last few uh, weeks of the season. And, uh, you know, Shropshire went a couple of times into the portal during this off season, but, uh, you know, the last thing, you know, that I was able to confirm was that he came back to UAB and he's, uh, you know, with the program right now. That was a, a big retention as, as Eric and I talked about a few weeks ago with uh, Shropshire coming back. <laughs> Evan, do you get uh, tongue tied as much as I seem to do uh, saying Trey Shropshire's name with kind of the, the mishmash of consonants in there? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I try to just call him Shrope or Shrop sometimes, uh, but still there, sure. even when trying to type out his name, I'm like, Vowels, consonants, where do they belong in this name? It's uh, it's just one of those, it's Shropshire, Shropshire. It's like the she sells, she sells. 
Yeah, that's that's a good callback. Uh, any other immediate impact guys in this 2022 signing class that uh, fans should be, be uh, paying attention to? Uh, probably not right off the bat. Uh, not from probably from any other prep. Uh, you know, they've got a lot. Of, they do got some experience coming back. They didn't have many guys uh, leave out of the program. They had a you know they've had a few guys hit the portal. You know, Chris Mole went out. He's got a year left. Uh, Antonio Moultrie uh, signed with Miami. Uh, you have Jalen Ram, uh, a backup linebacker. He uh, entered the portal a couple of weeks ago. He's still kind of out there. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of see uh, with those guys coming back. But as far as, you know, what they have coming in from this class, you might look at Jackson Bratton. He was a four-star linebacker out of Muscle Shoals, Alabama. He signed with Alabama, uh, was there for a year, and then he transferred to UAB during this offseason. So you have a guy who is, uh, you know, good enough to sign with the Nick Saban, uh, you know, team. So, you know, he's going to bring some talent and some upside uh, into that uh, linebacker room, especially with Noah Water uh, heading out along with some other guys that they had come in from the portal. So, you know, that's an instant kind of jolt of uh, of talent uh, right there. And, and you know, he, what he lacks on experience, you know, he'll be able to probably kind of really fill himself into this defensive scheme. You mentioned uh, UAB's history with LSU kind of at the top of the, the show here. UAB's non-con schedule this season actually includes a late season matchup against uh, Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers in Baton Rouge. Uh, early thoughts on that matchup based on uh, this year's teams? Early thoughts, uh, you know, it's an LSU team. They're going to be full of talent like they usually are. Uh, you know, just first thoughts, uh, UAB will probably go in, maybe be able to compete for, you know, a quarter, maybe a half, and then LSU's talent will be able to take over a little bit more. You know, those are just kind of first thoughts. But at the same time, if you look at, uh, you know, what UAB has done against SEC the past few years, maybe they haven't exactly, you know, game plan to really try to, uh, you know, grab an upset as they're more focused on winning conference games and winning conference championships. Uh, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, given that their schedule, uh, you know, if they're in a position, you know, maybe undefeated at that time late in the season, you know, you might see them, you know, try to really grab that win and maybe, uh, you know, try to, you know, you know, kind of be that group of five darling, you know, if they can get a win like that in Baton Rouge. But, uh, you know, just first thoughts, you know, uh, obviously going into an environment like that, which will more than likely be an evening kickoff, uh, you know, there's not much of a chance, uh, you know, you would give them. But, you know, uh, we're still, you know, almost nine months away from that game. So we'll uh, kind of see how that plays out, especially with Brian Kelly being in his first season at LSU. Yeah, you know, it's kind of in a similar position to uh, what that program was in when when Nick Saban first took over. Um, so interesting how history tends to repeat itself. Evan, as we, everybody knows, UAB is is going to move into the American in 2023. So this will be the Blazers' last season in Conference USA, it would seem. What should this program's priorities be as it uh, prepares to move into uh, a new league with uh, s- uh, such a significantly larger media footprint? Uh, I think, uh, you know, Obviously, they're going into this uh, uh, new conference. A lot of their old uh, conference mates are still there. You know, we'll get kind of a renewal of the Battle of the Bones with Memphis, a great rivalry, uh, possibly the greatest regular season rivalry trophy because it's just a a steel set of ribs. Uh, You know, it's just it's spectacular. It's glorious. Uh, But you see a lot of the current conference, uh, you know, peers coming with them as well. So, you know, it's be competing on the field as much as what they have to do off the field as far as a uh, you know really you know trying to get a national grasp especially being in America the American conference which is how kind of lends itself to a national exposure uh, especially with their TV deal with ESPN which uh, ultimately gets to a B you know immediate exposure better than what they've had in conference USA which uh, you know understandably has one of the worst 
TV deals in uh, college sports. Evan, one last question here before I, I turn it over to Eric. Uh, one of the, the big football things happening in Birmingham this spring is the return of the USFL, which I believe is being played at Protective Stadium for the entire season. Each of the games is being played at uh, UAB's home field there. So I ask you, any any plans to either cover the USFL since it's so close to uh, to your home or enjoy it as a fan even? Uh, well, we haven't really uh, decided, uh, you know, exactly our coverage uh, plan for USFL. Uh, there's going to be some games we'll do at Legion Field as well, kind of uh, kind of open that up a little bit more. But most of the games will be at Protective Stadium. Uh, I've heard they might try to even do one or two at the Hoover Met, but I think that just might be a little bit of hearsay. Uh, but, you know, but it's going to be a, an interesting, especially with uh, Birmingham's history with the USFL. They had a, you know, a really good, te- you know, a pretty good team back in the day uh, in the 80s whenever the USFL was here. Uh, and just having it here in Birmingham is obviously going to give it a little bit more, uh, you know, probably a little bit more exposure, a little bit excitement for a city that's really uh, that really loves its football. And uh, considering that uh, spring football has usually been good for Alabama, maybe not overall as a uh, as kind of an idea of itself, as we've seen most spring leagues fold uh, within a few years. But, uh, you know, I think just, uh, you know, being in Birmingham, it's going to add up a lot of excitement as well as you'll see, see a lot of guys who, uh, you know, haven't played in a couple of years of uh, being there. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll kind of see how the coverage plan uh, works out. Uh, you know, if I'm not involved with that, then uh, I might just go and join, join it as a fan. I know we're we're stoked about it over here. I uh, got a little bit of USL coverage on the site currently, but Eric, I know we're we're planning to do a little bit more uh, as uh, as that season gets closer. Y'all got the bandits, man. <laughs> yeah, Tampa Bay Bandits. And listen, I'll piggyback off what Evan said there. The Bandits, Joe, and you know, you may not know this, but um the Bandits have a have a kind of a storied history here in in Tampa. Um a lot of old school even because back in the 80s, you know, the Bucks were horrible. Uh, so the bandits mm-hmm. kind of took a, a little bit of a, you know, people took a liking to that team. So they are definitely fired up about that team. My, my mom uh, is through the moon. So yes, uh, very much. we got some USFL, USFL things going on and on the site, because a lot of the players, of course, we cover have been drafted and will continue to, um you know, make their way on those rosters. But Evan, to bring it back to UAB, want to ask you somewhat of a nuanced question regarding offensive coordinator Bryant Vincent and specificity his offense. And the reason why I'm coming to you with this is because I know Joe can attest to this. We have droned on and on. And by we, I mean me. One of the things that catches me, you know, I, I don't know if it's it's by surprise, Evan, or it just it catches my eye. When you look at quarterbacks in this system, you know, whether it's been Tyler Johnston or Dylan Hopkins or Bryson Lucero, I mean, you, you can kind of go on and on. But the offense is one that you would think for an offense that has always had a very strong run game, whether it's been Spencer Brown or this year, Dwayne McBride. It is boom or bust in the passing game, Evan. And the statistic that I always like to point to when inquiring about Brian Vincent's offense is the yards per attempt. Uh, you know, an average, whether you want to use the NFL or college, usually that average is right around seven to seven and a half yards per attempt. Over the past three seasons, UAB quarterbacks has been either, you know, in that high eights to even this past year, 9.9 yards per attempt, or 9.7, excuse me, for Dylan Hopkins. Uh, Evan, does that, what do you make of that? I mean, it just seems rather, I don't know, am am I making too much of the fact that for an offense that seemingly runs the ball really well, when it comes to the passing game, it's boom or bust, it's downfield or nothing? Uh, No, I think you've, uh, you know, kind of hit the head on the nail there. Uh, 
uh, that's kind of what it's been the past few years, boom or bust. And I think I, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. Uh, you can look at the uh, just the wide receivers, the depth of the wide receivers. You would usually have one, maybe two guys that were kind of your prime guys. And usually they got a little bit of speed, a little bit of size. So you're trying to send them down the field to sh- uh, you know, they've brought in these uh, tight ends. They've uh, kind of really embraced the tight end a little bit more, too. Uh, and a lot of it's, you know, maybe, you know, the talent level of the QB uh, as well. You know, uh, you know, if you have like a, you know, a four or five star QB coming in there, he's, uh, you know, probably able to get those uh, balls in a little bit, uh, you know, better position, uh, a little bit more easier to catch for the receivers and maybe even uh, be able to, uh, you know, push it downfield a little bit more. You know, not just a, uh, you know, a long pass, but, you know, in that kind of 15 to 20 yard range. Uh, but I, th- I think it's just so many factors of, you know, of the wide receiver depth. And as we've seen, it's kind of gotten a little bit better the past few years. Like you said, it's it's increased slightly in, uh, you know, and just seeing what Vincent's been doing the past few years. He's trying. It appears that he's been trying to open up this uh, this offensive playbook a little bit. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of it just comes down to the talent and execution. And uh, because, you know, when they're on, then it, it looks great. But when it's off, uh, you know, it's just very, uh, you know, it's almost like only the run game can save them because the passing game, you know, becomes boom or bust. But I think, you know, as they continue to, uh, you know, develop, you know, get better players, uh, increase the talent level, then I think maybe we'll see this, uh, you know, offense actually develop more of a mid-range passing game, as it were. So to piggyback off of that, Evan, what do you think in your mind was a difference this year? When you look at Dylan Hopkins' numbers, he threw for – a shade under 2,300 yards, 18 touchdowns, seven interceptions. But when you go back to the two years prior, whether it was Tyler Johnson and either Dylan Hopkins or Bryson Lucero, the TD to INT ratio was right around two to one, or sometimes a little bit closer, even, even, you know, probably two to one and a half. What do you think was the change this year in terms of, you know, them being able to limit the turnovers in specificity with Hopkins? Uh, Well, I think you'll have to really look at maybe the absence of Tyler Johnson, uh, Unfortunately, you know, I love Tyler Johnston as a kid. You know, he's he's a good guy. I uh, put a lot into UAB, but he also had a tendency to uh, you know, try to try to do mu- do too much at times and that often resulted in a turnover. Uh mainly in interceptions. Uh, you know, we've seen him like in the Tennessee game a few years ago, he had um four turnovers, three of which occurred on the first play of a possession. Uh, you know, and that put him in a hole really quick against the Tennessee team that they uh, you know, had an opportunity to, uh, you know, get a win over, you know, if they had, you know, not turned the ball over. So uh, Dylan Hopkins, uh, he seems to take care of the ball a little bit more. Uh, maybe he's a little bit more, uh, I wouldn't say gunshot, but he's going to not take as many chances. He's going to kind of rely on the rest of his team. You know, he's got a good running game. Uh, he's got some good tight ends. So he's not going to, I don't think he's wanting to force the issue uh, down the field as much as maybe Tyler would have at times. And I think that maybe, you know, kind of, what we've seen from the, this past year where we saw Dylan, Dylan, you know, only seven interceptions, much less than what we've seen from Tyler in the past few years. So I, I think it's just kind of more of a, uh, you know, as they increase in talent, they're able to execute better and maybe they're not in a position to where they have to force anything. Want to transition into that strong running game that I mentioned earlier, earlier that certainly aids that passing game. And you got to start with Dwayne McBride over 1300 yards, 1,368 yards to be exact. 13 touchdowns believe he led or might have been second i'm i'm they had a couple of good backs this year i can't remember if he was second or third but uh was you know in the top three as far as conference usa uh rushers in 2021 how good is Dwayne mcbride i think he's pretty good uh myself uh, <laughs> i think he's got a 
a chance to probably break a few of Spencer Brown's records. We've seen what he was able to do at UAB. But I think, uh, you know, Dwayne McBride really reminds me, uh, and this will age me a little bit, uh, he reminds me of a young Emmett Smith, man. Uh, he can get small. He can get small in, the, in those offense, you know, that all those uh, – Big piles of bodies when the two, uh, two the two lines meet, uh, and he can kind of you know get small and then squirt out the other end or bounce off someone and then boom you know he's got a he's got an alley and he can take it to the house uh, you know he's got that uh he's got he's got probably a little bit deceptive speed because uh, you see him as maybe a little bit more of a pounding running back but once he gets in the open field he can really accelerate when he gets there and uh, then he can hit his top end speed outrun guys we uh, we saw that great uh, touchdown he had against BYU. Uh, in the first half of that game, so I think he's uh, you know as as he grows, as he uh, you know you know j- just as he gets more experience, uh, you know learns uh, to maybe be a little bit more patient as well. Even though he's got great patience, I think he uh, just ends up being one of the uh, better backs in the country. Really, just being able to see his production and how he's developed uh, from year one to year two, and what we'll see this coming season. Want to transition to the defensive side of the ball and certainly been a staple under Bill Clark since UAB's made its return to football. They did lose two guys that you mentioned when Joe was doing his line of questioning. Standout linebacker, of course, played safety last year and Chris Mole and Antonio Moultrie. So wonder if you could talk about the losses of those guys a little bit and maybe some of the names that will be tasked with filling their departure. Yeah, uh, Chris, uh, you know, I believe he broke his wrist there in the two-lane game, so he never was able to kind of overcome that. Uh, you know, you know, he was hoping to get back maybe the last few games of the season, but was just never able to uh, get over that injury. Uh, so, I mean, he, you know, he's taken a chance with his last season. Uh, I, I don't believe he's been, uh, you know, he signed with, signed with anyone yet. He's had a few talks with Miami, but nothing concrete. Uh, obviously, Antonio Moultrie does sign with uh, Miami. He's a great addition for them. We saw what Antonio Moultrie was able to do last year. He shed 20 pounds, became a you know a great edge rusher for this UAB team. We saw him in the BYU game. He had three big TFLs early in that game that really put BYU behind the uh, behind the ball, uh, you know, early on. And uh, and from what I've read, you know, he's going to put the 20 pounds backpack on and probably play a little bit more interior uh, uh, defensive lineman for Miami as they come. But, you know, just having the experience of playing outside this past year, it just makes him a uh, very versatile lineman uh, uh, for Mario Cristobal and what he's going to try to do at Miami. So, I mean, that's that's a really big loss for UAB. Uh, I would say maybe so much as Mole because they got used to his absence, uh, you know, having played another nine games without him and uh, having guys come in and play experience. You know, Keandre Swoops uh, played a lot of safety uh, as well. You know, he ended up being one of their uh, top defensive backs this past year. So uh, those two guys are big losses, but I think uh, the Antonio Moultrie will probably be felt a little bit more than Moles going to keep you on defensive side of the ball and ask about a guy who really kind of broke out last year definitely caught my eye member of the secondary that's Grayson Cash again you know I'll kind of phrase it to you in the same way I asked about Dwayne McBride you know how good do you think Grayson Cash can be as someone who certainly uh, was a part of forcing a lot of turnovers last year and was rewarded with a spot on I believe the second team uh, all conference last year yeah. Uh, you know, Grayson may not have, you know, maybe great speed or, you know, he may not have the best talent, but he's a great worker. He understands the defense. He understands uh, football. You know, he knows where to be in a position to make a play. Uh, you know, we saw that all last year. He had pick six against FAU with a FAU heading in to take the lead at halftime. Uh, you know, he has two. He had two punt blocks, one of which he returned for a touchdown. He had another game ceiling. Inter- I think he might have had two game ceiling interceptions as well uh, later on in the season so he's just a guy a lot like Chris Mole he's uh, kind of become that guy that's uh, kind of Johnny on the spot uh, you know he knows where to be he knows where to make plays 
And, uh, you know, with another year in this system, I think he becomes, you know, an even better defensive player on top of that, you know, not just so much his special teams, but just an overall uh, defensive player, uh, you know, because he's worked with so many different uh, safeties. They got kind of a, ro- you know, they rotate a lot of guys in on that safety position. But I think, uh, you know, he really has a great year this uh, coming year, just, you know, coming off what he was able to do this year and, uh, you know, having that experience as well as, uh, you know, opportunity. Got one more football question, of course, as we, if you just join us, we are talking with Evan Dudley. He is a UAB beat writer for AL.com. Evan, what is the feeling? I know Joe kind of hinted at this as well, but, you know, just what's the overall feeling around Birmingham regarding this program as a whole, not just football, but I guess I would say UAB athletics as a whole, as they make this transition to the American and ideally a larger platform. Uh, well, it's definitely kind of uh, revitalized the area. I mean, Birmingham's kind of been on the up and up the past decade or so. Uh, it, you know, it kind of went downhill as a city. Well, maybe not downhill, lack of a better term, but I mean, it just, uh, you know, it's kind of stuck in a certain rut for a f- for quite a few years. And then uh, it's been re- it's kind of been regrowing the past decade. UAB uh, returning its football program and having, you know, immediate success obviously helped that. But you bring Andy Kennedy in, former Loom, he's got that basketball program, uh, you know, rolling really well. You know, they've got a chance to make an NCAA tournament in his second year. Uh, you know, they've hired Casey Dunn from Stanford to lead the baseball program. Probably an underlooked coach, but, you know, what he was able to do at Stanford over many years is uh, certainly, uh, you know, a great success in him coming to UAB and them putting some more resources into that baseball program will be able to, uh, you know, rise it up as well. Uh, and, you know, that's probably a guy Auburn maybe should have hired a few years ago. You know, he's a former Auburn player. Uh, but, you know, er, you know, that entire athletic program is kind of building itself up and, uh, you know, they're not, uh, you know, willing to settle for less. You know, they're, they want to win championships. They want to compete at the highest level. And, you know, in going into the American Conference, that's just going to give them more of an opportunity. Uh, it's going to give them better opportunity for recruiting and, you know, not just football and basketball, but other sports as well. So, I mean, you know, it, you know, all, all, you know, all, all boats are rising with this at this point. Going to go ahead, Evan, and finish up my uh, football questions with that. And anyone who listens to this podcast knows we've talked with you. We've talked food. You know, we've talked chicken wings. We've talked music. And, of course, with you being, you know, as I said, the uh, the renaissance man of Conference USA beat writers, I got to throw a couple curveballs at you. So I- I'll start here. If you, uh, you know, dead or alive, you got three dinner guests. Who are you going with and why? Ooh, uh, Miles Davis, because, I mean – He's a freaking genius, and I mean, I mean, he's a freaking genius, dude, Miles Davis. Uh, number two, ooh, uh, hmm, hmm, ooh, Bertok Brecht. He was a, a Jewish playwright. Uh, I believe he was uh, held in concentra- concentration camps. Uh, I've uh, done some of his work whenever I was a younger, younger man doing theater and stuff like that, and that's always someone I kind of really admired being in the situations he was in. And perhaps the third, ooh, Ooh, uh, ooh, Derek Thomas, just because I never got to meet him, and he was like the greatest linebacker ever, and he played for Bama. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be mad at that at all. All right, two more for you. Uh, this one will be semi-football related. What's the no- most notable presser uh, that you can remember being a part of? I-, I know I certainly had anyone who followed FIU football know- this year knows it was, a, it was a unique year, so I certainly had my fair share of those. What, what was the most notable presser that you can remember in your uh, – Prestigious journalist. Uh, it might have 
might have been from this past season uh, after the Ross loss. I uh, I admit I may have misworded my question to Bill Clark, and he gave me the uh, the look and the uh, have you ever coached a ball game uh, uh, line, to which I kind of sat there stunned. Is like, no, sir, I have not. Although technically I have intramural, but, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. But that was kind of an intense moment. But uh, I admit I may have fumbled the question a little bit. But, you know, we were all right after that, you know. Emotional moments, stuff like that. But that might have been the more notable because there's never been a whole lot of surprises in press conferences that I've been a, that I've been a part of. It's usually been run of the mill. Uh, haven't had too much drama, uh, you know, going with UAB because I got in after the drama, really. Uh, Evan, I think the point in which I knew this season was off the rails was when I, you know, was uh, waiting on Butch Davis for postgame at Marshall. And Butch has never, never declined, you know, but uh, I – he walked out of the out of the locker room and said, "You know, Eric, I'll, I'll talk to you on Tuesday." And that was it. <laughs> it was at that point when I knew the season was certainly off the off the rails. Here's here's the last one I got for you. So uh, I'm curious. You know, I, I know you have someone who is in addition to covering UAB is also covered. You know, um, preps. You know, high school sports. And anyone who has covered high school sports knows sometimes you can uh, it can be an adventure. Um, what is the longest drive you've made to cover uh, an event for work? Uh, for high school athletics, uh, longest drive probably would have been, oh, probably from Mineola, Texas to Waco, Texas. That's probably about a four or five hour drive. Uh, it's my first writing job. I was out in Texas as a sports writer, a team I covered, uh, made it to the state championships, but the state semifinal was in Waco, which is about five hours away. So had to drive that uh, with a photographer. Uh, as far as uh, college, it would probably be either down to Gainesville or uh, up to Marshall itself, uh, up to Huntington. Uh, that's a pretty good little drive, but also it's a pretty nice, pretty it's a pretty drive up through there. Uh, once you get onto the Bluegrass Parkway and uh, out there into the uh, Kentucky, uh, uh, the Kentucky side of the uh, Bluegrass Range. From Bama to Huntington, how far is that, Evan? Roughly, uh, that's about. About seven, eight hours, I think, maybe. It, it looks a lot longer than it than it looks, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty easy drive once you uh, get up uh, past Nashville. You know, that's that's mainly the main obstacle to get past up there. But it's, uh, it's about an eight-hour drive. I think Gainesville is probably similar to that. Uh, I've, made the, I've, I've driven probably as far west as uh, Louisiana Tech. Most of the Texas schools, I've usually just hop, up on, pl- hop on a plane for those because I'm not trying to drive, you know, three or four days through Texas. <laughs> Yeah, Joe, I will uh, pass it back to you on this one. I should curious the same question for you. I know I, I set my record this year when I drove up to Southern Miss. That was eight and a half. And I, and I drove back that night, which was a uh, a mistake, trying to drive from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, back home because uh, it ain't much to to look at going from Mississippi through Mobile and back to Florida. So uh, that, that was that was tedious. True. But uh, I'm curious about yourself, Joe. What's the, uh, the longest you've had? Are we talking the longest like road trip in general or the longest – like let, let, let's say for for something within the realm of work <laughs> got it got it yeah i probably when i was uh covering louisville i, I think i did that drive from louisville to tampa a couple times oh because uh, they were in the same conference with usf um but yeah i mean that's i don't know it's funny i have done that drive from that kind of general area to like Lee County where my parents still live uh, several times. And I, I never really thought twice about it, but that's probably solid 12 hours you're, depending on traffic. You're, you're, you're a better man than me, Joe. I mean, I listen, I, I was tapped out at eight and a half. So I know from, from Louisville down here, that's yeah, it's gotta be at least 10 to change. So. 
Now, of course, those uh, eight-hour trips, they don't really feel too much for me having, you know, spent days and weeks on a, in a van with a bunch of dudes smelling, traveling the, traveling the country, playing bluegrass and rock and roll music at different times. So, hang, hang on one second, Joe. Before we, before we go, I do got to ask uh-huh. that because I remember, you know, you introduced me to the gore. Right? Did I say that correctly? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and Evan is a fan of the guar. So how? how <laughs> it's, it's just guar, but it, the it, guar it, is funnier it, when you say it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're doing this for effect here, right? Uh-huh. It's the, the, the cultural differences between us will make this podcast hilarious, right? So we're doing it for effect. Evan, how does like the guar realm with like your bluegrass history? I'm just wondering how that all like melds together. Uh, well, I mean, to me, good music is good music, man. I mean, I've played bluegrass, I've played rock and roll, I've played metal. Uh, obviously, I've mentioned my three guys. I mentioned Miles Davis. So obviously, I'm a big jazz guy. It's actually one of my degrees. I decided to get the two most worthless degrees, a music degree and a journalism degree, I know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I just have a really eclectic taste in music. So, I mean, good music is good music to me, even if it's maybe, uh, you know, a bit uh, maybe satirical, tongue-in-cheek a little bit, because obviously gore is a little bit tongue-in-cheek in itself. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it's it's a, it's a fun time. I've been to one of their shows. It's just it's just a fun time. It's a lot of hard rock and metal, but it's, it's fun. And uh, I've met the guys before, and they are certainly some of the nicest guys you will ever meet. I mean, uh, and that's the case with most metal guys. They are really nice. They're, you know, they're just, you know, playing really aggressive music. So after, afterwards, they're, you know, they're all smiles. I, I may or may not have a browser tab open looking for Iron Maiden tickets for later this summer, Evan. But uh, I got to ask, Ooh, what's nice. your favorite What's your favorite metal show you've ever been to? Ooh, my favorite metal show. Uh, I would want to say Megadeth, but I haven't been to. I was close to going to Megadeth, and I really want to. Uh, sure. Uh, probably It'd probably just be a Metallica concert. I mean, I grew up, you know, listening to Metallica, uh, you know, but although I probably like Megadeth a little bit better as I grew older and realized their metal was a little bit uh, more metal. Uh, it was written in spite, and spite's a great motivator for metal music. Uh, so, uh, you know, but, you know, actually, uh, it might be a Slipknot show. Actually, back in uh, 99, I think, in uh, Five Points in Birmingham, uh, uh, is right after they came out, uh, their, their, not their real debut, but I mean, their their, their commercial debut album, uh, uh, they played right. in Birmingham. I forget who was with them, but uh, uh, that was probably one of my earliest metal shows. So I probably, that might be it, because it was a... Uh, it was a small club and obviously it was slipknot so it was a uh it was a banger that night that had to be nuts i would i would very much like to time travel back to to that <laughs> to that venue in that time um for one night not for long but anyway um no that's that's awesome evan appreciate you sharing a little bit about uh your taste and some of the things that uh have kind of brought you to, to this as well as the uab football insights it's uh obviously why a lot of people come but uh, they stay for they stay for the music chatter, obviously. Hey, that's that's what I try to write most of my features about, just random stuff. I've I've gotten to uh-huh. the point now where it's like people like to read about the fun stuff with athletes because we all we can all watch the games, we can all pull up advanced stats and everything. So it's really about telling those stories that uh that don't get told that uh you know that that can make you laugh or you know uh you know pull some sort of emotional string on you. So those are kind of the stories I always like to kind of tell you know more outside of the box because like I said you know we can all watch the games now with everything on TV and on your phone. So it's more about uh you know those inner stories with these guys. 
Absolutely, man. I know that's why a lot of folks uh, follow uh, you and a lot of the folks in Conference USA, you know, football beat writer, Twitter space. Uh, if you want to follow Evan on Twitter, it's at Dudley Do Right AL. Uh, of course, D O W R I T E A L. And uh, AL.com is where you can find uh, Evan's work covering the UAB football program as well as uh, other sports related things in, in the Alabama area. Uh, but Evan, can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, Eric, I know we're going to jump back on next week with more CUSA football stuff. Uh, hopefully, we'll get another beat writer in here. Uh, but if you haven't already, at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore on Twitter, at Eric C. Henry underscore on Twitter, and uh, our guest today, Evan Dudley, at Dudley Do Right A-L on Twitter. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back very soon with more CUSA football talk. Happy football watching, everybody. 